I'm not famous. I am uncensored, not famous. I escape. How to not escape? The parody. here who's determined to make all the noise he possibly can when I'm talking or whenever I have music. Of course he's a canary. He's gonna chirp and trill and sing and interrupt to his heart's content. I mean, it is what it is, I guess. So I want to apologize in advance for the little background scratchy noise of my little buddy Tico, but you know, I can't be noiseless. <laughs> I can't have any ambient or what, how do they call it? trash noise <laughs> whatever the hell it's called I can't be I'm not in a studio so I'm sorry guys you have to bear with me so yeah how's it going how's life how is your job how is your love life how is just life in general how's your finances how's your happiness how is your diet and nutrition how's your exercise how's your wellness you know speaking of finances earlier yeah tax season is coming I'm dreading to do my taxes, although I never have to pay because of the way I have filed each year. I just, it's just terrifying to do taxes because taxes is like, <laughs> it's, it's the government, it's the IRS, it's we're here to get you, bitch. You're gonna pay, you're gonna pay hard. Although, uh, hey, you know, I pay, I pay more than my share, so that's why I get some of it back, but still, I just don't like doing my taxes at all. And ironically, I took an H&R Block course because years and years ago, I was entertaining the thought of uh, being a partner in a tax uh, filing company, tax preparation company, just like H&R Block, and I decided otherwise. It's just so, ugh, it's blah. It's, it's a no personality, dry as a door frame, <laughs> non-colorful, non not exciting, not anything job. I mean, you know what? To each their own. We all need someone to do our taxes or we all need to do our taxes solo, just like I do. But so we need them. But it's just not for me. It's just like to being a lawyer. It's just not. That's not for me. Accountant, um, tax preparing individual, lawyer, librarian, accountant, or whatever. You know, much, much, much needed and respected professions, but not for me. So I'm sitting here high on life, high on, not high on edibles this time. I'm just chilling, taking it easy. But I brought here my beer that I've been trying to open and I can't because those cans, man, sometimes... Uh, 
I didn't know. But if you don't have long nails, it's just brutal for your fingers. But once the can is open, ooh, I cannot. Oh, guys, I just, I already poured it before I hit record and just the most refreshing sound. Ooh, I'll, I'll just do, I'll do this on the second can. Ah, so what are you doing this weekend? I'm thinking of cooking up a storm. I love cooking. It's just, it relaxes me. And that's usually the other way around for most people, for most normal people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, usually cooking stresses them. And I, I can understand that. But to me, I just love creating. Cooking is in my background. I used to be a personal chef over a decade ago. I loved it. It was a lot of work because I also was holding a full-time job on the side. Can you imagine the irony here? Full-time job on the side. And that was just a one-woman show for personal chefing. So it was a lot of work. Plus, I was a brand new mother, so it was too much on my plate. But I, I don't know myself not having too much on my plate anyway, so... It's, uh, I love it, I love it all. But I couldn't, unfortunately, because it's a premium business, I couldn't really afford to just hold that business on its own, so it couldn't stay alive for long. And uh, I had to stop, but I miss it. And then as far as cooking, I also took a few courses at the Cordon Bleu, uh, the one that when it was over in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I loved it there, it was, just, it was awesome. I learned so much. I, I just, it, I was in my zone there. It was my happy place. I loved it. But no, I didn't have a degree, so the courses just came to an end. Uh, but I really learned a lot. And I'm applying those skills to what I do today, which, um, again, I have shouted out my business in the past, in previous podcasts. It's the collection of Tasty. What I do is I bake cheesecakes, gourmet cheesecakes, the best cheesecakes you've ever had ever 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 i guarantee you that it's not oh you know that's a challenge let's just see if um, i like your cheesecake better than mine no 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 you have not had a better cheesecake and that cheesecake factory <coughs> factory um yeah uh you know what i mean some factory that produces cheesecakes that ain't no cheesecake that's a cake tastes beautiful it's gorgeous but it's not a cheesecake per se anyway enough of like completely shamelessly without mercy plugging my business but i bake cheesecakes i also bake my own homemade chewy granola and bread that you have never had before but the folks from south southern europe which is all the mediterranean countries oh they know they know about that bread and that bread is, its heart and soul is olive oil. Call it frajola. Frajola in Greek means a loaf. So yeah, the collection of Tasty, guys. You gotta give it a try. Collection of Tasty. Website is thecollectionoftasty.com. Go take a look at it. I'm also on Facebook and on Instagram. Mama, mama. So where was I? Oh yeah.
cooking. What I'm going to cook today, I'm going to cook spring rolls, fried, deep fried spring rolls. I've been dreaming about that for like five days now. So, um, and where I live, actually, we have, uh, I think the majority of the population in my city is Asian. And guys, the stores that they have here, I personally love Asian cuisine. I just love, love, love Asian cuisine. And um, as long as it doesn't have to do with spicy, I can't deal with spice. I'm a Greek, born and raised. We don't have, we're not innately wired to be, uh, to, to tolerate spice. It's not in our cuisine. We just don't do it. A little bit of tangy, zesty, okay, but not spicy. So a lot of the foods in the Asian cuisine are very, 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 very flaming hot, spicy. And no, that that's not me. But other than that, I just live for spicy cuisine. So I have a supermarket, a grocery store here in my neighborhood, and they sell so many nice Asian ingredients to make the spring rolls in my case. So I just made a beeline to that store this morning and I bought all my sweet ingredients to make the spring rolls and I'm going to fry them later. Um, I haven't really vlogged or blogged any cooking um, vlogs on my uh, YouTube. So if you guys want me to do that, I'll be happy to do that. It's not going to be a studio version of cooking demonstration. I'm just going to show you what I do and just let me know. Just comment to see if you're interested to do that. And you know what? Honestly, my guy behind me is making so much noise. It annoys the hell out of me, but he's a bird. They're hyper. So I'm thinking of just letting him out of his cage so he can relax. So he can relax. Because he's just annoying the hell out of me. He does it on purpose. Every time I'm on the phone or I'm talking here or I play my guitar, he's just like chirping. I love him though. I love my little buddy. And after I lost my other two buddies, my other two canaries, a couple of weeks ago, it, it really hurt so much because I, I ultimately am responsible for their well-being and I just, I let them down. Long story. But um, now Mr. Tico over here, he's so spoiled <laughs> that, uh, you know, I'm making up for it. I, I love birds. Birds to me symbolize freedom. They symbolize music too which I absolutely love, 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 love music. Who doesn't, right? But uh, to me, it symbolizes freedom, most of all. Obviously, the complete opposite of constraint, of confinement, of lack of motion, lack of movement. Freedom, that's it. But it also symbolizes resilience. You know, a lot of people think that because birds are so light, they're so fragile, they're, their bones are like, stick thin um they're resilient they're they're just resilient little motherfuckers they are they are strong they adapt to any weather conditions truly i mean think about it in north in north america and not just north america in so many countries uh, look at sparrows they're tiny little things fragile as hell the only thing they have on them is just their feathers it's just they're very they're exposed and yet they come back every season, every year. They're strong, they're strong. Birds are strong, they're very resilient. And that's why they say, you know, the phoenix that rose from the ashes. Well, yeah, <laughs> they're resilient. So to me, a bird symbolizes more than just music and flight. It symbolizes so many virtues. I just love them. Also, canaries are, they've always been tradition to back home, to Greece. 
many, many, if not all villages, they all had those villagers who would have one canary that they would take out from sunrise and put them back in and sundown because the weather, of course, would be so beautiful. Um, they would just sing and sing and sing. They just, they just, they, they are the staple animal for the traditional Greek household. And I want to represent that here. But you know what? This podcast is the, the poster child of digression. I digress six ways from Sunday, baby. <laughs> anyway, you know, on this podcast, I really wanted to talk about spirituality. I wanted to talk about what I titled it. NDE, OBE, DMT. But first... Oh, yeah. So, DMT, dimethyltryptamine. If I understand it right, uh, DMT is a, um, a hallucinogenic. It's a drug that occurs naturally in uh, plants, in animals, and in people. Now, that is also commonly referred to as the spirit molecule, air quotes here, uh, because it really it provides you like an intense psychedelic experience once you take it. Now, DMT, from what I understand, it doesn't last a long time once you take it. Um, it's not like LSD. DMT, it, uh, it produces a brief but um, intense visual and um, intense visual hallucinogenic experience. A lot of people really like its effects and um, that's why they keep taking them. Now, a little, a little side note here, where I come from, even pot was considered like, oh my God, anybody who would take pot, they were the devil. Oh my God, you're like, you, you are a horrible person, you're a druggie, you're, you're, you're a hooligan. <laughs> a hooligan, you're, you are a troublemaker. You like rough housing. Uh, so, I mean, I really can't blame our previous generations because as generations evolve, so do the, I don't know, so, so do, should I say the moral? I don't know if you should say the moral, morals, but so does the concept of life and what you gain out of it. And that's a very broad term. But where I came from, just smoking was the only thing you see commonly. You would not commonly see anybody smoke a joint. That was just, that was not even, that was out of the question. So imagine anybody <laughs> taking DMT. Although back then, DMT was just, it was not known. Coke and heroin was known, but that was completely, like, it's not even talked about. It's not just about learning about it. It was not even talked about. But it's not just that. People, scientists, didn't know much about DMT anyway. Now, personally, I have not done DMT. Am I curious to do it? Hell yeah, I am. Just like I'm curious to do mushrooms. Um, and I've also been curious to do LSD. I haven't done neither of those three. Now, they're really, really hard to find, and that's one reason why I haven't tried it, but I really would like to... Here is the thing with me. Again, going back to what I just said a few minutes ago, growing up where I came from, this none of this was introduced to us. We 
didn't know what the hell DMT is. We actually didn't even know about mushrooms until later in life. And later in life is when I came to the United States and I fully learned about it. <clears throat> but again, back then, the only accept, accepted form of smoking is smoking a cigarette, a cigar, a cigarette, a pipe, and that's it. When somebody would be known as smoking pot is an automatic anarchist. That is it. There is no other label to put next to it. You're a bad person. You're up to no good. You're a loser. You have no future. And imagine if you were to do coke, for example. Then you're done. There's no hope for you. So I disagree with that, of course. But for the longest time, other than pot, I really didn't feel like the curiosity to try anything more than that because for... Not from fear, actually, you know what? Maybe there is a little bit of a, of a fear involved. For example, I always was fascinated of the effects that shrooms have and DMT and LSD. But I have not tried them because of the trip you get, which of course it kind of defeats the purpose because this is the reason why people take that. It's because take take either of those three. It's because of the trip, the experience. But to me is also the fear of the unknown. It is where do you go? What do you see? How do you feel? Where do you go? It's, you don't just sit in your couch and take it. You really go places and try to think about that, really. Try to dissect this in your mind, what I just said. You don't just go. Um, your mind doesn't just travel. Some accounts, some people have testified that their, 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 their body and spirit have traveled, which to me, it's fucking amazing. To me, that's awesome because if that little substance can take you places can really show you things show you places show you experiences answer you questions that you have about life about god about love about spirituality isn't that what this is about and to me that's totally fascinating but again i always had, <clears throat> had fear of the unknown. I don't feel comfortable not knowing where I'm going. And perhaps maybe that's why I should take them because I need to go beyond that, go past that, go beyond the fear of the unknown. And I do know that a lot of people think the same way I do. And perhaps I speak for them, but maybe, you know, you know if they were easier to find... Um, I probably would take them, but you know what? If I were to take them and try them, I would always do it with somebody with me because when you go in to that trip in a bad mood, in a stressed mood, if you're upset, if you are sad, if you're angry, if you're agitated, you're not going to go, you're not going to come out all right. You go in the same way you come out. If you go in in a certain mood, you come back out in that mood. So you really need to do this with somebody who knows about it, who has done it before, so they can guide you. And you know, that's what they have shamans for. Now, do I pronounce it right? S-H-A-M-A-N. There's a lot of different versions of it, but I call them shaman. And to me, shamans are just amazing doctors of the mind. They are the spiritual gurus that will guide you to 
where you want to go. And they will guide you by providing you the comfort level to do that. God bless them. They're medicine men and women. They are, I, I love them. I don't know anybody specifically. I don't know anybody personally. But if I were to meet a shaman in my lifetime, I would be eternally grateful. But not everybody is really good from what I've heard. So if you know the right people, the right company, the right skills, the right the right guidance, you can go to amazing spiritual travels with either mushrooms or LSD or DMT. And I don't know, if anybody can share a story with me, I'll be more than happy to read up to it and comment on it. Absolutely. I'll mention you. I will tag you. I will shout you out on my podcast any time you want. So I have here on this website in front of me some facts about DMT. And the reason I called it up is because I want to make sure I'm not just talking shit out of my, you know, what. So fast facts about DMT. Number one, DMT has been used as a drug for thousands of years. Can you get thousands of years? Yeah, it has been used as a drug for thousands of years. But how? Where? When? What country? Because me, like millions of other people and generations have not known about the dimethyltryptamine at all. Do you guys know about it? It's even hard to pronounce it. Anyhow, so it's been used as a drug for thousands of years. It's called, it's considered a Schedule One controlled substance in the United States, and that really means that it's illegal to produce and manufacture and sell. Fucked up, right? And that is because it supposedly, uh, an abundance of air quotes here, um, it does not produce a, a, a recognized medical use. And that's why it's considered Schedule One. Yeah, that's bullshit, if you ask me. But um, here it says it's a lack of accepted safety parameters for the use of the drug in the medicinal purposes. Whatever, man. Uh, really? Um, yeah, DMT has no approved medical use in the United States, but can be used by researchers under a Schedule One research registration that requires approval from both the Drug Enforcement Administration, DEA for short, or the FDA. <laughs> of course, right? There's always after somebody's approval. This is already stupid. Um, but again, it's been called the spirit molecule, molecule or the awakening drug uh, to, uh, to obtain more deep spiritual insight. Yes, yes, and yes, yes. Now here is the beefy part about the DMT, the side effects. So it says here, the main effect of DM DMT is psychological. Yeah, no shit. Um, with intense visual and auditory hallucinations. Yes. <laughs> Um, euphoria, mm -hmm. and an altered sense of space, body, and time. Yeah, to me, that's reality. Uh, okay, so many users describe profound, life-changing experiences, such as visiting other worlds, talking with alien entities known as DMT elves, okay, I didn't know that, or machine elves, and total shifts in the perception of identity and reality. Okay, besides the DMT elves and machine elves, which is, that's a first, 
the rest of it is, yeah, this is why one would take DMT, so they can really cross into the other, well, not all the other world. I mean, really, we're stuck on the three-dimensional world here, much lower vibration than ideally, I guess. One would take DMT for that purpose, to really expand themselves to the higher self, and to me, I think this is this is the euphoric part. This is this is the drug. This is what you want to take to see beyond the earthly everyday life, to come to terms with your spirituality. Like, where do we go from here? Here meaning earth, life. When we're actually living, where do we go after that? There's so many questions that everybody has. However. There are many questions that have been answered to those who've had an NDE, a near-death experience. This is another topic of huge interest of mine and of so many people. I'm fascinated by near-death experiences. I never had one. I've had plenty of OBE, out-of-body experiences, which always, always scared the shit out of me. To this day, I've had them, if I realize this correctly, I've had OBEs since I was a kid, and they always terrified me. They terrified me because of what, I, of what terrifies me to this day, the fear of the unknown. When you have an OBE, your consciousness, not your, not your soul, I don't know, I mean, I really speak out of not certainty, but I speak of what I perceive, what I understand, but OBE is when your consciousness leaves your body. You're still alive, obviously. Your heart still beats, your organs are still functioning, you're sleeping, but your consciousness, your you, your ego, your, your soul, I guess, is what flies out of your physical body. And Either it just floats on top of you or it just goes to out there. I don't know. I don't have a specific account as to what happens. But what I recall every single time, it scared the shit out of me. And I always knew that I had control of controlling it. I had control of not letting it happen. I had control of letting it happen until it just comes, until I come out of my body and I just float over me it's just it i really need to come to terms with this and i know millions of people have had obes and still do and always will because some people are a little more um vulnerable in that state of mind in that state of consciousness than others others pursue to have they look forward to having obe and really try to recollect what happened, try to account of what happened, where they went, why they went, and what they saw, and what they experienced, and what they felt. To me, it happens involuntarily. It happens when I least expect it, always in my sleep, obviously, and it would be a lifetime goal of mine to be able to control it, and know that when it happens, it happens for a reason, and to allow for it to happen all the way because I really want to know what's at the other end or when that journey happens and please 
comment below anyone who has had an OBE and an NDE, a near-death experience, because this is, this is life-changing. This is an experience that answers lots of questions we have of what's out there, what, what, what we experience, and from countless, countless accounts and countless um, readings and documentary watching and everything, from what I see, it is truly beautiful out there. It is truly amazing. It's just, it's beyond explaining. Everybody who came back from an NDE, um, their account was, maybe I shouldn't say everybody, maybe nine out of ten people who came back from an NDE, they said that it was so beautiful that they did not want to come back to this. They did not want to come back to the earthly challenges of life, the physical world of stress, of sorrows, of sadnesses, of even happiness too. They did not want to come back to this struggle that all of us go through. They couldn't wait. I'm not kidding you. They could not wait to go back to either another NDE or to go back to the death. And it sounds crazy, but many accounts, you go, you know, there are many Facebook support groups that they talk about their NDEs and you, anybody can go in and read them. People would say that I can't go back. I can't wait to come back to die. I mean, I can't wait to go back and, and die because after this death in quotes, it's no death, it's beauty, it's eternity, it's love that you can't measure in physical measurements. The love, the warmth, the forgiveness, the compassion, the, the light, the everything that God shows to you is beyond description. And if that's the case, then I can't wait to... I look forward to my next OBE. <laughs> sounds crazy this podcast is first of all this podcast is a long podcast it's just spirituality maybe i should just like cue in the spiritual music right here relationship between DMT and NDE. Um, a lot of scientists, they refuse to, not refuse, what's the word, denounce? They, they deny that NDE is real. They are thinking it's all a hallucination of the brain because it happens when the brain is clinically dead. And when that happens, I think that it, when, a, when an organ when a body is clinically dead, it means that there is no blood flow, there is no oxygen into the blood. So the brain is considered dead. So 
the scientists say that when that happens is when DMT is released. But, okay, I understand that. However, really, why does that make it a non-legit effect? Why is that not real? Because to me, DMT does not provide you a lie. It helps you see. It helps you see beyond what you see every day. It helps you it helps you travel to the next dimension. Is that real? Is that fake? Well, we don't know for sure. You can't you don't you can't get proof. There is nothing beyond reasonable doubt. But the problem with me and the scientists, well, no, the problem with the scientists is that unless there is hard tangible proof, then it's not real. But what is real? What's real? What's not? What's not? What? What? Why do we have to have real in every sentence, in every experience? Why? Why does that tell me? I mean, to me, real could be what you say is not. So DMT helps you see. It helps you go beyond. But that beyond, to me, is real, because I tell you that. Statistically, 8 million people have had near-death experiences. 8 million. 8 million people have died, went wherever they went, and came back. And 8 million people will tell you that what's out there is amazing. It felt real. They were conscious when that happened. And they saw God, they spoke to God, God spoke to them, not in physical form of speech, of words, but telepathically, which I totally believe that. But they went there, they got uploaded a shit ton of information, of answers of all the questions that everybody has here, and they came back. The problem is that not everybody can remember all the questions that they were, metaphorically speaking, speaking uploaded into the brain, but they really came back changed, changed for the better. Although many people account that they've had a little bit of a hard time adjusting back to real life, <laughs> to everyday life that you and I are living, but they really came back with many answers and the answers to all of those questions they had were love. That's it, it's love. What this world, what the universe, what Everything has been built on, is built on a basic fuel, a basic ingredient, and that is love. That is what makes the world go round. It, it's what the universe is made of, is what life and everything around us is made of. It's based on one law, the law of love. And that's what they took back with them as it came back to their physical life. What truly fascinates me is that every single account of those people who describe their near-death experiences, they were told telepathically that it's not time for them to die yet. It's not their time. Well, then, to me, that's amazing. To me, that doesn't mean it's hallucination. I mean, doesn't that prove that this is real? Your brain actually has the capacity to decide that it's not time? No. No. So that means that a higher power 
told you that it's not time to go yet. You had a choice to come back. You also had a choice to stay. I mean, that right there tells me that it's real, that it happened, that it's not just a fictitious thing. It's not something that your brain just made up. How can your brain decide, okay, it's time to go? Oh, no, it's not time to go. It's time to come back. It just doesn't make any sense. Personally, to me, that means that this is one more reason why I'm totally convinced that everybody's account to what happened is real. All is just, it, it, there is the heaven. They just saw heaven. That's it. They saw heaven. In fact, many people said that when they went up there, up there, out there, I, I have to title in some way, um, that they saw not only the loved ones who passed before them, they also saw siblings, for example, when they died as babies, but they were fully grown. Some of them also saw people that they had not yet met in real life here, that they were going to meet in the future. And many, many more other different accounts that you can just simply Google them and you can read all about them or go on Facebook and read them. This is where I, met, I, where I read many accounts from different people, many experiences and witnessings. Um, you know, not everything has to have a solid proof. Honestly, come on. I mean, I don't know about any of you, what you personally believe, what fulfills you, what brings you peace, what brings you love and happiness, what is your level of spirituality? To me, I believe this 100%. And I don't know if I wish I had an NDE so I can experience what they've experienced. But if I try to put aside the fear of the unknown, I think anybody who have had an NDE is so fortunate because they really they came back with the most happy confidence, with the most fulfillment their soul could have, which is something that everybody's looking for. We're all, we're all insecure about what's out there beyond our death. Nobody likes the unknown. Nobody likes to not know what's expected after we die. And we're all going to die. We, we all, we're all going to die. So those who came back with such strong accounts as to what is out there, I think we should respect that. I think we should really take into account the higher self that each and every one has, the spirit that lives on after our body dies, the fact that they, there is a God, there is love, there is forgiveness, there is eternity. And everyone who came back said, which is to no surprise, is that be loving, be forgiving, be understanding. To a point, everything has its level of tolerance. I get that. But for the most part, if you get up every morning and are positive and you truly put your best foot forward to live your day and just be positive, there's no other words to describe it. If you're a pessimist, it'll come back to you. Everything bounces back. What you give is what you'll get. Everything you put out will come back to you in the same way, the same fashion. If you're in a shitty-ass mood in the day, in the morning, you're going to get that back in the evening. You, The universe answers to you. And even though we don't get all our questions answered and all our wishes fulfilled, 
I do believe there is a reason why we get what we get, be it good, be it bad, be it the wish that we asked for and we get it. Everything has its own time and God knows everything has, it comes to you for a reason. Everybody who crosses your path comes to you for a reason. There's always a reason. We don't get it right away. One day, if we're lucky, we will. But in the end, live with automatic feeling of love. Be generous. Be compassionate. Because you know what? If you don't believe in yourself, nobody will. And of course, it's easier said than done. We all have our share of insecurities and... Um, and doubts. I mean, who doesn't have them, right? We all do. But one thing that's without a doubt certain is that the only, one and only ingredient that it took to build this universe is love. Believe in yourself because you are the universe. Thank you for listening to this lone podcast. Um, a little bit more serious in this podcast, but we went deep. And even though I didn't get the chance to discuss everything I wanted to talk about, <laughs> maybe we'll have a part two of the, all the acronyms. NDEs, OBs, STDs. No, not those. But, you know, you have a good day. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your life. Enjoy yourself. And until next time, peace out, baby! Woo!